Good morning, CBCB. Good morning. Welcome. If you are online with us or if you're here in this room, I just want to say welcome. Today's kind of a special day for us. We're actually celebrating our 15th year anniversary as a church today. <laughs> Who would have thunk it, huh? Um, so we tried to decide, well, how, you know, how should we celebrate? This is kind of a big deal. I mean, really, most of y'all, when you found out I was going to be the pastor, didn't think we were going to make it a week or two, so... And we got to celebrate this thing, and we decided to celebrate by worshiping Jesus and hearing from his word and loving each other. What do you think? That's a good plan, right? So let's do that. Let's go ahead and pray, and we're going to get straight into God's word. Uh, Father, we just thank you so much for this day. It is a, man, glorious day, Lord. We are, we are saved by Jesus. We are called into your family by Jesus. We are one in Jesus. And Lord, today we just want to thank you. Man, for these amazing 15 years and all the things you've done in us and all the things that you've done through us and the way that you surprised us and the way that you've used us to reach people and teach people and help people in your name. But Lord, we don't, we don't want to just look backwards, Lord. We want to thank you for what you've done, but we want to just appreciate who you are. We want to appreciate what you have for us moving forward today. So Lord, as we open up your word today, as we always say, we don't just want to open up the book. We want this thing to open us up. So we just open us up today, Lord. Challenge us today. Change us today by the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as we're getting started, I've got an idea I want to run by you guys, see what you think. It's for a game show. Um, it's like Wheel of Fortune. Um, it's got the like roulette, roulette wheel that spins around, the wheel that spins around like that, only instead of having like dollar amounts on the wheel, it has discussion topics. And so then we'll just bring random people, here's a plumber, here's a lawyer, here's a doctor, here's a whatever, we'll bring them on stage and, you know, they, they spin the wheel and they get a topic and they debate it. So in the first round, you know, you just make your best friendly oral argument. And so, you know, we spin the wheel and the topic is uh, best Thanksgiving food, turkey or pumpkin pie. Right, or spin the wheel the next day. Best casual clothes style. Is it shorts and t-shirts? Is it boots and jeans? And then the next day, it's gonna be the best getaway vacation spot. Is it the beach? Is it the mountains? That sounds like fun, right? And, and it probably ends with both people laughing and hugging and probably nobody really convinces each other, but it's, it's, just, it's just for fun. And I think that would actually be a great show probably for a season, and then, you know, it gets a little boring after that. And so just like The Voice and all these other shows, every year they add a new wrinkle, right? And they make it a little bit different. So in season two, we change the topics. So it's still the same, you know, the same game, but now, like, the topics are um, masks. Are they saving us or are they killing us, right? We're not doing the game yet, so just, <laughs> it's the idea phase right now, okay? Vaccine mandates, for or against? It's not time, we're just talking. <laughs> Joe Biden, <laughs> awesome or awful, right? Donald Trump, savior or antichrist, right? We could just do it all here. We could. Critical race theory, 
unnecessary discussion or poison? We could, we'd never run out of topics. Right, we could do immigration, election reform, gun control, Black Lives Matter. <laughs> Ooh, man. We could even do like a Jesus week where we have all Christian contestants and we argue only Christian debates like which Bible version is best? Which denomination has it right? Should women be allowed to be pastors? Are megachurches good or bad? Um, should the worship music be contemporary or hymns? Predestination or free will? Baptism, should we dunk or sprinkle? <laughs> right? And if we're gonna change the topics in the second season, and we're gonna hold on to our viewers in the third season, I think we go ahead and change the rules. So it's no longer just a one-round debate. We start with that in round one. We start with like a rational conversation. And then in round two, it's okay to yell and cuss and call names. And then in round three, we punch <laughs> and kick and choke and bite. And then the bonus round, we bring out the brass knuckles. Right, we bring out the knives and the guns and we settle this thing for real. <laughs> this is final jeopardy, right? <laughs> now listen, that's entertainment right there and I think people would watch. I can tell you I would watch it. And you know what else? We will never run out of contestants. And we don't have to give away a trip to Hawaii. We don't have to give away anything because based on what I see in social media, and based on what I see in just conversations that I overhear, I think people would line up to be contestants just for the fun of destroying people who disagree with them. And you know why? It's those topics. They, they, they're important things, but man, they make us crazy. They make us, they make us hateful. And there are some topics now that if you don't agree with me, you're no longer just wrong. Now you're stupid. Right? You disagree with me, now you're evil. You disagree with me, now you're, you're not an American. You disagree with me, you're not a Christian. And I'm basing that on how you feel about this topic that I feel strongly about. I'm saying some of these topics just like divide us and the division is so deep between us that it's like there's no bridge, right? There's no way that we can, we can connect back to each other. And it just feels like, like our passion or our anger or pride is just burning the bridge that's between us. And honestly, the media, and I think specifically social media, is fanning the flames of those fires. Um, in divorce cases, there used to be a term that they threw around a lot, irreconcilable differences, right? And that's kind of what this feels like. We're, we're so divided on some of these topics that it feels like our relationships have become irreconcilable. It's just, we, it can't be fixed. It can't be fixed. All that's left to do is just burn the bridge that's between us and then spend the rest of our lives telling everybody how stupid and how wrong and how horrible those people are 
on the other side. I don't, I don't know if there has ever been more division in our world or, or a bigger thing to separate people than really any one of our social or political or even church divisions right now. It just, it, it, it seems irreconcilable. I don't know if there's ever been a division as big as the ones that we face right now. No, there was, there was um, in the Bible. There's this division between Jews and Gentiles, right? What, what, what's, a, what's, a, what's a Gentile? What's a definition? What's a Gentile? It's somebody that's not a Jew, right? That's it. That is it. And now this, listen, you think there's a difference between Republicans and Democrats? You think there's division between vaxxers and anti-vaxxers? You think there's division between blacks and whites? This division, the Jews were the people who God chose. And the Gentiles were the people that God rejected. The Jews were the people that God called holy. And the Gentiles were the people that God said were unholy. The Jews were the people that God said were worthy of a relationship with him, and the Jews were not. God provided a way for Jews to have a relationship with him and to live forever, but not the Gentiles. So our divisions over you know, vaccine mandates and political parties, they're, they're important, and, and they're real divisions, and they might affect decades of history. But this division between Jews and Gentiles is eternal. There is no comparing the gap. There is no comparing the division and the differences between Jews and Gentiles and what we, it's a million times bigger than anything that divides us now. It's divided people, not for, a, not for decades, for thousands of years. In fact, since Genesis, Really, the Gentiles have abused Jews since Genesis. Slavery, oppression, genocide. You know, in Egypt, the Gentiles made a law that if a Jewish woman had a baby and it was a boy, they had to take that baby and throw it in the river. How's that for division? Right? In Babylon, they had a law that the Gentiles made that if a Jew worshipped a Jewish god instead of the king, they would publicly burn them to death. A little more modern history, isn't that what the Holocaust was? It wasn't about ideologies. It wasn't about you know, political power. That wasn't about lines on a map. That was about Gentiles trying to literally kill off the Jews. Now, this is a huge division, and it's not just a one-way thing. The Jews weren't completely innocent in this either. You know, the Jews in the Bible saw Gentiles as subhuman, as, as animals. They called them dogs. That's what they called Gentiles. They wouldn't eat with them. A Jew wouldn't eat with a Gentile because they were so dirty. They couldn't even eat with them. If they accidentally touched a Gentile, then they had to wash their hands before they could eat a meal or before they could go to church. And I think their feeling was, if, if God has rejected these people, then we have to reject them too. So in the Bible, in the world that we're talking about around, the world of Paul and these Ephesians, 
this, these differences were literally irreconcilable. God had chosen the Jews, not the Gentiles, period. And of all the people in the Bible, the person who took this division, this separation, the most seriously, number one might be Paul. Because if you remember, when Paul first heard that some people thought they could have a relationship with God outside Judaism, right, through Jesus, he didn't just post ugly stuff about them on Instagram. He drug them out of the churches in chains, men and women, took them to prison or even killed them. But then Paul had an apocalypse. And if you were here last week, we spent a lot of time on that word, apocalypse, right? It, 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 the meaning has kind of changed in our vernacular, but the biblical definition of this apocalypse is like a great uncovering of truth. It's like a, a revelation. It's a, it's a new understanding. Something that used to be blurry is now clear. Something that used to be dark is now lit up. Something that used to be mysterious, now it makes sense. Something that used to be unseeable has now supernaturally become seeable. And so now when Paul had this apocalypse, he could see Jesus for real. He could see who Jesus really is and what Jesus has really done and who we really are in him. And he could see, he said, God's eternal plan. That was his apocalypse. And now he's written this book of Ephesians so that the people at Ephesus and so that we could have this same apocalypse. Here's the verse we talked about last week. It's Ephesians 3, 3. He says, as I brief wrote, briefly wrote earlier, it's the passage Joy was just talking about, about who Jesus is and what he's done and who we are in him, right? As I briefly wrote earlier, God revealed his mysterious plan to me. And as you read what I've written here, you'll understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. And God didn't reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, now because we have the spirit living in us, we can understand it, we can see it, we can have this apocalypse. He says, God didn't reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he's revealed it to his holy apostles and his prophets. So God's eternal, mysterious plan regarding Christ was covered up before, right? It was dark before it was blurry before but now paul says he can see it because he's had this apocalypse he's had this revelation and it's a new revelation of god's eternal mysterious plan about jesus that only people full of his spirit can really see and so i read this okay it's god's mysterious plan regarding christ and it's this eternal plan and i'm thinking oh yeah of course right the plan about jesus right? That, that must be the apocalypse. The, oh, Jesus is born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He was crucified. He was resurrected. And now, you know, if we accept Jesus into our heart and our sins will be forgiven and boom, you live in heaven forever. That, that's got to be the plan, right? That's got to be the plan that he's talking about. That, that, that's the mysterious plan regarding the Christ, right? So I'm reading this and I'm waiting for Paul to tell us that the mysterious plan regarding Christ is all about the virgin birth and it's all about you know, forgiveness and living in heaven forever. And in verse six, he tells us the plan, but it's not about a virgin birth. 
And it's not about accepting Christ into our hearts, and it's not about our sins being, it's not even about going to heaven. Look what he says. Now, verse five he, finished, or th- 5, he finished up by saying, this is the new plan regarding Christ. Ephesians 3, 6, he says, this is the plan. This is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. And both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. That's God's mysterious plan regarding the Christ. That's God's eternal plan. That's that's the apocalypse that Paul is talking about here, that these two really different, really divided, opposing people groups, Jews and Gentiles, that are divided by a split that is greater than anything we could even imagine. These are people that were divided socially and and ethnically and politically and culturally and morally and financially and religiously and eternally. That those two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, oppressed and oppressors, the holy and the unholy, the people that God chose and the people that God rejected have the same inheritance. What is that? They have the same inheritance. That, that means they're part of the same family. Those two different groups of people that have hated each other since thousands of years, that completely disagree on everything, that, that don't even agree that the other person is, can know God, those two different people now are in the same family. In fact, they're so united now that he says it's like they, they're parts of the same body. It's not just that they like each other. They, they literally can't survive without each other. And they're no longer separated. They're united in Jesus. And Jesus unites them in a way that is eternal. And he, he unites them in a way that, that supersedes all the stuff that divides them. So remember last week, we said when you read Ephesians, when you read Galatians, when you read these epistles, when you read these letters, we have to bear in mind we are reading someone else's mail. Right? So when we read this stuff, we have to know that it's, it's for us, but it's not written to us. And so we have to look really hard to find the truth in what he's saying to this church in Ephesus. And then we have to try to take that same truth and figure out how it applies in our world and in our time and in our culture. And I have to tell you that in Comal County, I have not seen a huge division between Jews and Gentiles. But the truth, the truth that he's trying to get across to them is eternal. It's timeless. It's it's cross-cultural. And that truth is that ethnic divisions and social divisions and cultural divisions and political divisions and who's oppressed who and what one side thinks of the other side's morals, none of those things separate us anymore if we are in Christ. If we are in Christ, we are united. 
In fact, I think Paul wants to get this across so much that there used to be a bunch of us, and now we're one. It's like, how can I help you see that, right? And so he actually like, tries it over and over in different ways. So he uses these, these different uh, metaphors. If you get a chance, look at the end of chapter two and the beginning of chapter three, and he's using like different metaphors to make the same point. He says, we're all individual children, but we're all in the same one family. We're all individual body parts, but we're all part of the same one body. We're all these different stones, but we all build the same one temple where God lives. That's what, that's what he's trying to say. That's what he saw. That's his apocalypse. That's his revelation. That everyone that professes Jesus, we're not just associated together. We're not just connected to each other. We are one in Christ. And I would suggest to you that if that's enough to bridge Jews and Gentiles, I believe it can bridge Republicans and Democrats. Just stepping back for my own safety, <laughs> right? I believe it can bridge maskers and demaskers. I believe that it can bridge vaxxers and anti-vaxxers and black people and white people and Methodists and Baptists and liberals and conservatives and dog people and cat people, right? If, 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 if Jesus can, listen to this, because everybody, it's all like the hair on everybody's neck is standing up right now. I can see it from here. If Jesus can bridge the gap between a holy God and a broken sinner like me, I think he can bridge any gap. And I think Paul had that apocalypse. And he wants them to have it. And that's why he wrote the book. And I think God wants us to have it. And that's why he included it in the Bible. And I think he wants us to live it out. So remember we talked about this last week at six chapters. Connected by the word therefore. Remember? The first three chapters are this amazing theology about who Jesus is and what he's done. He's united us. And who we are in him. We're all one. That's all the theology part. And then there's the word therefore. And then there's chapters four through six. It's kind of like in light of all that, now that we understand all that, now that we've seen all that, how should we live our lives differently than we used to? And so, yeah, we're called as God by his kids to have this apocalypse, to have this revelation, and then to live on that. Jesus did all this amazing stuff, and therefore, our lives should look different. So here it is, here's the therefore, Ephesians 4, 1. Therefore, right, think of the apocalyptic language, right, in light of, right, Therefore, in light of this apocalypse about who Jesus is and what he's done and who we are in him, in light of the fact, now since we've all seen those first three chapters, since we've had the apocalypse now, we see who we are in Jesus and that we're united, therefore, he says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling because you've been called by God. So what does it look like? What does that mean? Live a life, this is who you've been called to be. You've been called to be one. What does that look like? Verse two, he tells us, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Sidebar, that's what tolerance really means, right? Tolerance doesn't mean I endorse your behavior. Tolerance doesn't necessarily mean that I agree with you. Tolerance means that I will make an allowance for your faults because I love you and I want what's best for you more than I want to win an argument. 
Verse three, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. And this is the part I'm gonna tell you that convicted me this week. This wore me out this week. Two words, always. Make every effort, always make every effort to keep yourself united. And I think we gotta get this picture, man. Christ has united us as one. That's his work. He did, you didn't do that, I didn't do that. He united us, he made us one, and you know what? That did not come cheap, right? Because he didn't do that by waving a wand, right? He created the whole universe with a word, but in this thing, it was such a big deal. Look at the trouble he went to. Ephesians 2, 16, listen to this very carefully. Together as one body, together as one by all of our different everything, Jesus reconciled both groups. Insert your favorite here. Right? Jews and Gentiles, Republicans and Democrats, vaxxers and anti-vaxxers, whatever. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. He, all of us were reconciled to God by what Jesus did on the cross and, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. So on the cross, Jesus reconciled all of us to God and he reconciled all of us to each other. That was a lot of work. That was a lot of trouble. That was a lot of horrible. And this is suggesting that we should make every effort not to undo what Jesus did. That we should make every effort not to revive the hostilities, not to revive the division that Jesus died to kill. So the conviction I had was when I disagree with somebody because I'm right and they're stupid, right? When I disagree with somebody on some important thing or I just don't like what they said or how they said it or I don't like their ideas or I just don't like them. When I get really like worked up about an argument or a hot topic, am I always humble and gentle and patient? Am I making allowances for their faults? Am I making every effort to stay united? Or am I just focused on winning a debate? Because Jesus said the thing that would allow people to recognize us as his followers, the thing that qualifies us as Jesus followers, the thing that would allow people to see Jesus in us, the thing that would draw outsiders to Christ through us, the thing that would draw people to him through us was not us being right. It was our love for each other. It was our unity. That's what attracts people to Jesus through us. I'm not picking on you, but I'm talking to the person next to you. Do you have an agenda more important than that? I know, I know that one topic is like, I know that's a big one. Is it more important than that? Does God see it as more important than that? Post-apocalypse, did Paul see it as more important? Post-apocalypse, will you see it as more important? And I had this week, I'm telling you this, I'm not gonna say vision, but I had like this weird, I don't know, image or picture or something. Here it is. So 
it's, it's judgment day, right? And so there's millions of people in this long line, and we've all got our number that says now serving number whatever, right? And we're waiting for our turn, and we're gonna be judged. This is it, man, this is heaven or hell, right? And so I'm in line, and you know, I'm, I'm golden. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm with Jesus, I got nothing to worry about. Right? I'm a pastor, I'm probably gonna get extra points for that, right? So I'm, I got my ticket, I'm good to go, right? I got some headphones, I'm listening to some music, and I'll wait here all day. Probably got those like little TV monitors showing like bloopers and stuff, just because it's a really long line. And now I'm in this line, and right in front of me is this person that I had a sharp disagreement with during this life. And it occurs to me that instead of making every effort for unity with that person, I spent all my time with that person focused instead of loving them on showing them how wrong they were about whatever. And so they never got a chance to see the Jesus in me. They saw how smart I was. They saw how right I was. But they didn't get to see the Jesus in me. And how smart I was and how right I was did not draw them to Jesus. And since they had never seen the love of Christ in me and they'd never been wowed by the unity and they'd never been magnetically sucked into this thing, they just never got around to becoming Christians. And so now they're going to hell. And as the demons come up and drag them, kicking and begging and fighting and screaming and crying to hell, forever separated from God, I turned to Jesus and I said, yeah, but I was right about the vaccines, right? I mean, that's make every effort. Make every effort, not some effort. Not partial effort, make every, I don't know, that, that convicted me. And it's hard, right, because these issues are real. And these issues are important, and these issues matter a lot. But I think the apocalypse that Paul is describing right here is to see that these very important issues matter less in God's eyes than unity. And man, it's, it's not easy, right? Because, you know, my opponents are just so wrong. And I am just so right. And this topic is just so important. Plus, I've been fighting with them for a long time. And they said some stuff that's pretty hard for me to let go of. And I've said some stuff that they should just forgive and move on from. It's not easy. It's not, it's not easy. It's, it's not easy. But to Paul, to Paul, it seems kind of important because he says that uniting all people into one people is the plan regarding Jesus. And you know what else makes this idea of unity so important? In case it's not enough that it's God's eternal plan and that Jesus died to make it happen and that it draws people to Jesus and saves them from hell. In fact, that's not enough. There's, there's something else about unity that I think has been revealed to Paul that most of us have never thought about. And that is that there is a level, there is like a, a dimension of God's love that is just not available to us as individuals. 
that is available to us together. Some things we just can't fully experience without each other. Um, remember seesaws? Is that still a thing or are they too dangerous now? Seesaws are out, right? Teeter-totters, do you call them teeter-totters? I, we called them teeter-totters when I was a kid. You know, you like that, right? So, um, you know, you could, you could teeter-totter by yourself and you could have, you know, some fun or whatever, but you'll never really experience teetering unless you have somebody else tottering, right? You, we need the opposition to have the full experience. You with me? Go like this. You with me on that? We need the opposition to fully have the experience. So remember who this letter is written to. I mean, we did this last week, right? Who's the letter written to? The holy people, the saints at Ephesus. So is this to one person or to a group of people? It's a group of people. Is it singular or plural? So every time Paul uses the word you, is he saying you or is he saying y'all? He's saying y'all. So, so we're gonna help him with the translation here, okay? Look, Ephesians 3.14. He just talked about all this amazing, incredible stuff, who Jesus is, who we are in him, what he's done for us, right? When I think of all this amazing stuff about God's plan, he says, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth, and I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower y'all with inner strength through his spirit. Verse 17 then, keyword, then, right? Once we all have this, once we all, right? Once we all have this power, then Christ will make his home in y'all's heart. As y'all trust in him, y'all's roots will grow down into God's love and keep y'all strong. Do you see that these are not individual experiences? These are corporate Experiences. These are group experiences. These are community experiences. These are family experiences. We have them together. So this, this power happens for all of us, and once it's happened for all of us, then Christ makes his home in all of our hearts, right? Then our roots, once it's happened for everybody, we've all had it together, then our roots grow down into his love. Then we experience this strength. Look at verse 18. And may you have the power, oh, I said it wrong. May y'all have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and long and high and deep his love is, not just for you, for Republicans, right? For Democrats, for vaxxers and anti-vaxxers and maskers and demaskers and black people and white people and even Jews and Gentiles. He says, verse 19, may you all, may y'all experience the love of Christ. Although it's too great to fully understand, here's another key word, then, then, once we've all experienced his love together, then y'all will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. There is an experience of Jesus. There is an experience of the love and the power and the fullness of Jesus that is locked up for us as individuals, that is only unlocked in our unity. It's only unlocked in our oneness. And maybe it's because we need to see God with like lots of varying sets of eyes. 
so we can see all the different aspects of him, or maybe it's because we all share these little bit different experiences and we have to share those experiences so that we can each understand them, or maybe it's just because the love of Jesus is just too wide and too long and too high and too deep to take it in by yourself. But if our unity is God's eternal plan, if Jesus died to make our unity happen, if our unity is what's gonna draw people to Jesus and keep them out of hell, if our unity allows us to fully experience the life and the love and the power of Jesus, we have to make every effort, we have to make every effort to stay united, and chapter four, verse two tells us how. Always be humble and gentle and patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. Here's a good question. Is that even possible? I mean, with these things that get our juices going, right? I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Can I be honest with you? I guess what the heck. It's hard. Because some of these things are so close to home. And some of these things we're so passionate about. And some of these things are so important and so real that unity with somebody on the other side, humanly speaking, is probably impossible. It might take a supernatural apocalypse for us to see what Paul saw. It might have to be supernaturally revealed to us that in spite of our differences, no matter how deep they seem to us, no matter what it looks like to us, pre-apocalypse, what it really looks like, Ephesians 4, 4 says that in Christ there is one body and one spirit just as you have been called together in one glorious hope for the future, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and living through all. Part of the apocalypse is that unity is possible in Christ. He's the thing that unites us. And the thing that unites us is so much greater than all the stuff that divides us. The apocalypse is that even though our behavior hasn't really caught up with our revelation, the revelation is that in Christ we are one. And I can prove it, I can prove it. Look at the church at Ephesus. Jews and Gentiles living together loving each other, serving each other, spreading the gospel and the love of Jesus together despite these huge differences? Um, I can prove it another way. Look at this church. Look at CBCB, man, for 15 years. A really random group of really weird people with <laughs> like all kinds of ideas and all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of church histories and we got Methodists and Catholics and Baptists, oh my, we got old, we got young, we got new believers and old believers and people from different social statuses and different financial groups and different races and somehow we're setting apart our differences and we're embracing 
the oneness that we have in Christ to reach people and teach people and help people in his name. And that's the key, right? In Jesus' name because we're separated by our backgrounds. We're separated by our histories. We're separated by our ideas. We're even separated by some of our religious beliefs. But we're united in Christ. And the thing that unites us is so much greater than the things that divide us. I'm not crying, you're crying. God has done some pretty awesome stuff in us and through us for the last 15 years. And it's all for Jesus, and it's all through Jesus, and it's all because of Jesus. He gives us joy and passion and creativity and strength and love and unity. We're all very different, and we're divided by lots of things. But the thing that unites us is so much greater than the things that divide us because the thing that unites us is Jesus. That's our apocalypse this week. And that's been our apocalypse for 15 years. And that apocalypse will empower us to reach and teach and help even more people in the next 15. Let's pray. Uh, Father, again, thanks for 15 amazing years. Thanks for bringing together a group of people so different and so apart and bringing us together and unifying us, not around a person or a building or an organization, but uniting us in Christ. Lord, I just pray that this apocalypse will just continue to, to be revealed to us and more and more we will see that Jesus came to give us unity and we should do everything we can to not tear that apart. We should make every effort to hold on to one another and to be united together not around an idea, not around a concept, around Jesus. Lord, thanks for this church and for the work you're doing in us and the work you're doing through us. In Jesus' name, amen.